Today, what I want to do is I want to teach a little bit on the Lord's Supper. And I, just as I did last week, I, I kind of simplified things a little bit in my message. And we, I did it by answering some questions about what is baptism, who should be baptized, why do we have baptism, those kind of things. Well, that's how I want to approach the text this week as we look at really the only kind of teaching passage on the Lord's Supper. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, Jesus, of course, introduced the Lord's Supper, and you see it. Uh, laid out in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John makes reference to that night in the upper room, but really doesn't say much about the Lord's Supper. But Paul writes to the first Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. And, and in fact, he just does a little bit of teaching here because what was going on was the, the Corinthian church was getting it wrong. And so Paul wrote to them in particular, the issue that they had was there was disunity in the body. And uh, he basically said, how can you come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper when your hearts aren't right before the Lord? And then he lays out for them uh, really what you see in the Gospels about how the, the Lord's Supper was introduced by the Lord and how Paul had, had been introduced to it by the Lord. And what I want to do is just walk through it and answer these questions. So let's read. We're going to break our reading up into two sections. Let's first read verses 23 down through 26, which really includes the Lord's Supper itself. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The early church recognized that that was a command given by Christ that when they would come together, they would partake of the Lord's Supper together as a way of remembering what he had done for them. Some believe that they, every time they met together, in the early church that they would partake of the Lord's Supper. Others believe that they did it on, on certain special occasions. And, and there's no real way to know for sure because, I, as I've already said, the New Testament doesn't give us a prescription for how often to partake of the Lord's Supper together as a body of believers. Uh, there are some churches today, some denominations, that every time they meet, they partake of the Lord's Supper. Others uh, that, that do it regularly or, or periodically as they celebrate together. And some only do it as special services because the New, the New Testament really doesn't give us a prescription of that. But the broader question is just what is the Lord's Supper? Uh, some call it communion, some call it the Eucharist, but what is the Lord's Supper? As you see here in the text, the Lord's Supper it was something that was passed on to the disciples, ultimately to the Apostle Paul by the Lord himself, the last night that he was on earth. He gathered his disciples in the upper room, and uh, as they gathered there, they were eating a meal, and during that meal, the Lord introduced two elements. One of them was a piece of unleavened bread, the other was uh, the wine that they were drinking, and, and, or the fruit of the vine. It was certainly something made from, the, from grapes that they, uh, he, he gave meaning to those items as he passed them around the room, and they prayed over them, and it, it, he gave that to the early church. He gave that to the disciples to pass on from there for a particular reason. First and foremost, it was to be a, a, a celebration of what he was doing 
of his sacrifice. Now, they weren't fully aware of it the night before because they were gathered in the upper room. The disciples did not fully understand what was about to happen. That night, they weren't even going to get much sleep except for those who fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus told them not to. They, were, they went to the garden to pray, and before sunup, uh, Jesus was arrested. And then, of course, if you know the story of, of the death of Christ, he was arrested. He was put on trial before a couple different uh, uh, leaders. And then he was beaten and he was hung on a cross to die that next afternoon. So the last night of Jesus' life, he came together to, to give them something by which they would celebrate his sacrifice. Remember and celebrate his sacrifice. The second thing, and you see that there in verse 23, I, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and he, he walks through that with us. The second thing is, it's a reminder of sin's consequences. Our sin led to the death of our Savior. Verse 24, Scripture says that Jesus took the bread, and he prayed, he, he, he gave thanks for it, and then he broke it. He broke the bread, which, you know, when we think of our soft loaves of bread, more than likely the, the, the uh, unleavened bread that they were partaking of was, was probably a round piece of what we might call more of a cracker. It was a hardened piece of bread. And, and he broke it, symbolic of the fact that his body would be broken for us. The weight of our sin that he carried on himself required that breaking of his body, the destruction of his body. And so every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that our sin caused the death of Christ. It was because of my sin and your sin that he had to die. So it's a reminder of the consequences of sin. Sin destroys. Sin didn't only require the death of Christ, sin still destroys. The consequences of our sin are always heavy. Third, it's a reminder of the new covenant. Jesus says there in verse 25, in the same way, or the scripture says he took the cup and said, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just what is the new covenant? Uh, if you have been with us over the last, this year, you've, we've walked through a lot of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is probably the best instruction manual in all of scripture to help us understand how Jesus fulfilled what was required of his father in the old covenant and implemented the new covenant. Let me read for you just a portion of Hebrews from not very long ago. Uh, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12, He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So by the blood of Christ that he shed for us, he came before the Father to bring an offering for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cows sprinkled those who are defiled, sanctifying them for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleansing our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. 
so that those who are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for the redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus told us that my shed blood is a reminder to you of the new covenant. So every time that you drink of this cup, you'll be reminded that I shed my blood for your sins and for the sins of the world so that there could be an eternal forgiveness and eternal cleansing. There's no longer a need for the sacrifice of bulls and goats. What Jesus did once and for all settled it. And so under the old covenant, the, 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 the people were required to regularly offer sacrifices of their sin for a reminder of the consequences and the weight of their sin. And for us, the new covenant that's been settled, it was, it was all paid for by the blood of Christ. So how are we going to remember the reason for the, the sacrifices of the bulls and the goats and the dove and all the, the offerings that had to be made in the old, under the old covenant were a helpful reminder regularly of the importance of, of seeking the Lord and laying our hearts down and a reminder of, of, of the consequences of our sin. For us, it's through the Lord's Supper. When we come together as a body of believers to, to partake of the Lord's Supper, we pause to remember that Jesus shed his blood for me. Without the Lord's Supper, we would not have a constant reminder because we're not required to make sacrifices. And so we gather together as a church body periodically to do something that seems really strange, honestly, in our culture. It's one of the few what we see as religious practices that, that's required for a New Testament church. In fact, we really believe there's only two religious practices that are required of a New Testament church. One of them is baptism, and the second one is, a, is a partaking of the Lord's Supper. The reason for the Lord's Supper as a religious practice for the New Testament church is so that we have that reminder and we stay tied to the cross. We don't forget what Jesus did when he shed his blood for us on the cross because through his death on the cross, he implemented the new covenant. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder of that new covenant. And then finally in verse 26, what is the Lord's Supper? It's a reminder of his return. Because Jesus said, you will partake of this Lord's Supper. You'll do it regularly until I come back. And so once he comes back, there won't be a need for it anymore. There won't be a need for a reminder of his sacrifice. So I love the way that, that, that Kirby put the, the, the music together because we ended with that reminder that there's going to be a day. When we're no longer going to be walking by faith. We're going to be walking by sight because we're going to be in his presence. And what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. So we continue the Lord's Supper and, and partaking of it as a church body until that day that he returns. The second question I want to answer is why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? I've just kind of answered part of that. We, why we celebrate it is because first and foremost we're commanded to. Jesus said to do it. And if we're going to be obedient to Christ, if he is our Lord and Savior, we're going to do what he told us to do. So it's a very simple, straightforward truth. The Lord commanded that we partake of the Lord's Supper regularly as a church body until he returns. Second, we've kind of said this already, because we celebrate it, because we remember through the Lord's Supper his death. And then third, 
This one doesn't show up as much in the Gospels, but it certainly shows up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says, we partake of the Lord's Supper, and out of that, we, we identify with a unity in the body of Christ. There's one thing that the Lord's Supper always reminds me of each time that we come to the table together. It does not matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a week, a month, a year, or 80 years. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the, the origin of your nationality. Every single person in this room comes to the Lord in the same way, through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. And so it brings a unity. It reminds us that we're all in it together. It reminds us that we're all on the same level. It, it doesn't matter if you're the, a pastor up on stage or you're a deacon or, or you're a new believer. None of us are above any other. There's not a single one of us that would have any hope of eternal life outside of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. You can't get to heaven any other way. You can't give enough money. You can't tithe enough. You can't do enough good deeds. So it doesn't even matter how disciplined you are. You could be the most disciplined person in the world, have, have what some have, have called, uh, Bill Gillum called in his book, USDA grade A flesh. In your flesh, you're a good person. Doesn't matter. Because the only way to the presence of God is through the blood of Jesus. Good people, bad people, black people, white people, brown people, poor people, rich people, African people, Asian people, American people, it doesn't matter. There's one way to the presence of God, and that's through the blood of Christ. We're all on the same level. So the Lord's Supper reminds us that we're all in this together. There's a unity that has to come. And then finally, who participates in the Lord's Supper? You know, this is a question that, you know, staunch evangelicals and scholars have loved to argue about over the years. I want to, I want to keep it pretty simple. First, I want to read this passage from uh, the, the next three verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So verses 27 down through verse 29. Scripture says here, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against his body and the blood of the Lord. Now let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. He goes on to say this is why so many are sick among you and some have died. Who is it? that should partake of the Lord's Supper. I do not believe that, that we should have a closed communion. And, and, and what some people mean by that is that you have to be a member of a particular church to come into this place and, enter, and to share in the Lord's Supper together. I don't believe that. But I do believe that the Lord's Supper is, is something for those who have already put their faith and trust in Christ who are born again. If you are a sinner, I mean, if, I say sin, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, you've never professed him as your Lord, and you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're, you're buying, in, in some ways, more trouble for yourself in that you're, you're, you're proclaiming Christ's blood, and you're proclaiming that his body is the only way, but you're unwilling to profess it. So if, you, if you've never professed Christ as Savior, and you've never been baptized, why in the world would you come to a communion table 
and say, yeah, this is the body of Christ, this is the blood of Christ that was shed for me, and yet refuse to profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and so it doesn't make any sense. Honestly, I don't think it hurts, because if you're already lost, you've never put your faith in Christ, you're separated from God, and, and so if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity separated from God in hell, you partaking of the Lord's Supper today is not gonna make hell any hotter. <laughs> so if, if, if you, if you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, I, I would encourage you as your pastor and urge you, if you believe that, that, that Christ shed his blood for you and his body was broken for your sins, then profess that, profess him as your savior, and then partake of the Lord's Supper as one of his children. And so what we're going to do today is something a little bit different than we do in most services. When I finish the message, we're going to have an invitation before we partake of the Lord's Supper because here's what I want. If there is anybody here that doesn't know for sure whether you are born again, whether or not you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. Or maybe you know. You know that you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior. I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. During the invitation, I plead with you to come and talk to me or come and talk to Kevin and let us share with you how you can pray to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And then after you pray and after you go back and sit down at your seat with your family, you will partake of the Lord's Supper. And, and, and when we do that, you'll be immediately re remembering the body of Christ that was broken for you and his blood that was shed for you for your own salvation that you just received a few moments ago. So if you don't know whether or not you're born again or not, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. Either come, find out how you can become a, a follower of Jesus Christ, or don't partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not going to make any sense for you. And parents, this is important for your children because it's a good training time for your kids. If your children are with you in the service and they've never followed Christ, they've never put their trust in him as Savior, they've never been baptized and to follow him, then I would encourage you to let this be a teaching moment. Tell your kids that they need to wait to partake of the Lord's Supper until the day that they've professed him as their personal Lord and Savior. And then second, those who should participate in the Lord's Supper, those who have chosen to follow Christ, and second, when we look at what Paul had to say here to the Corinthian church, those who come with a clean heart. You remember my story up front? There's none of us here that are without sin. I fully understand that. There's none of us are here and can come into this place. And in fact, there's, there's probably not any of us outside of my wife that can come to this place and say they didn't sin this week. I mean, my wife's just about perfect. So I know that, uh, that she probably didn't. She didn't have me here to aggravate her all week. That probably helped. I, I say that jokingly because none of us are perfect and none of us are pure and holy in and of ourselves. So it, it, don't take it to, to say that nobody should partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not that at all. We've been washed by the blood of Christ. We've been given pure hearts because of the washing of his blood. But there may be some here who were like I was as a pastor that day in May, who you know that you've got something in your life right now that ain't right. You've got sin in your life that you have not confessed before God I'm going to ask you to do one of two things I'm going to ask you first and foremost as your pastor I don't think you need to come talk to me about it I'm, I'm, I'm not your priest I don't, you don't have to confess your sin to me unless it was against me but I'm going to ask you to come to the altar 
and confess your sin before God and ask forgiveness for your sin. Because he tells us in his word that if we will confess our sin, that he is righteous to forgive us of our sin. He is just and he'll forgive you immediately. There's no waiting period. There's no delay. There's no time period that has to go by. If you know that you have sinned against God or you know that you have sin in your heart right now, that, that you've done something in the last week or month or year that you have unconfessed and you know that you're not right with the Lord, before you partake of the Lord's Supper here in a little bit, I want you to come to the altar and lay it out before him. Confess your sin before the Lord and he will forgive you of your sin. If you're unwilling to do that... <laughs> and you're harboring sin in your heart, I'd give you the same warning that Paul does. Don't take the Lord's Supper. Because you're proclaiming when you take the Lord's Supper that you're remembering his blood that was shed for you, you're remembering his body that was broken for you, and yet you're saying, but I ain't gonna confess my sin. And you stand in judgment before God. And in some ways you effectively add on to that judgment by confessing you know better, but doing it anyway. And so who is it that should partake of the Lord's Supper and participate in the Lord's Supper? First, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ to follow him. And second, those believers who come to this place not harboring any known, unconfessed sin before God. If you need to deal with one of those two issues, I'm going to plead with you to come. Would you stand with me? And Kirby's going to come lead us in a time of invitation. And this is just simply a time for you to respond. You can come to the altar and pray if you just need to come pray. Or you can come talk to Kevin or I if, if you need to come and find out what it means to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We actually have a couple counselors that if you need more extended time to talk, you can talk to them. You may step out and, and may miss the Lord's Supper service, but that's okay. If God's dealing with something in your heart that you need to deal with, you do it. You deal with it today.